front of my screen. Oh, there you are. Thank goodness. What would I do without you? I don't know. I don't know. I'd just wither up. That's what. Oh, you're wearing the same Neapolitan ice cream sweater. Yeah, this is a big part of my cool weather uniform, which I feel like we're officially entering cool weather season right now, so... Yeah, we are. We are. I need some new sweaters, really. I love this sweater so much. I want like eight of it in various color patterns because it has these really cute, like puffy sleeves. They're very precious. Well, I don't know if you shop this way, but I basically find like one piece of clothing that I like and I like it so much that I'm afraid to wear it because I'll wear it out. So I need to buy like six of that same item of clothing to feel secure wearing what I actually like. Oh, I like the idea of buying six of something. This hoodie I'm wearing, I actually bought seven of them. Yep. See, you know. Yeah. You but know the wisdom. It's not a fear-based thing. It's a convenience-based thing. You know? Well, we may have gotten there by different roads, but we're in the same camp. There was an article in The Atlantic... I hate that I just said that. My brain just turned instantly like static played behind my I'm eyes. I'm really sorry. <laughs> but I promise it's interesting. It was about how sweater quality has gone down over the last 30 years or so. Okay, that is interesting, but you have to realize that objectively it sounds like the least interesting I know, possible I know, thing. I know. They're just not making sweaters like they used to. When I was your age, you could go to the store, you could get a sweater, it would last you six or seven years. Now you get a sweater, it's one year and done. I know, I know. Yeah, you know, basically, you know, markets. It's the fibers. It is the fibers too. <laughs> Plastic. <laughs> But it made me appreciate the Alina Sokolovsky sweaters that I have made yeah. of wool. I have to tell you what, I'm so glad that uh, a beloved friend convinced me to watch through all of Seinfeld because it makes you a lot funnier. It makes me funnier or you funnier? Yeah. You, I mean, probably both of us, but it makes you a lot funnier because you embody so many Seinfeldian tropes just naturally. Oh, I don't know if that's a compliment, but... It's a, it's a it. neutral statement. I yeah. mean, it's I like you. You're my friend. So like whatever your personality is, is like a positive. Okay, great. Uh, just great. thinking about this whole sweater conversation and just like those inane conversations they have on that show, you know, it just like is a an echo of our reality. Well, I think peak uh, telos, you know, is just inane <laughs> conversation. If you have the luxury to do that, that's pretty great. Good mm -hmm. job. The real question is... How are you? Oh, how am I? Well, I'm good. I'm filled with anticipation because at any moment, Grunge Girl is going to ask me to put the chicken in the chicken soup. Oh. I'm the chicken handler in the family. I see. Yeah, okay, good just, to know. You know, because it's a little icky, you know, for, you know, some people not naming any names. Uh-huh. But yeah. Sure. I'm going to handle the chicken. So I might have to disappear for a little bit. That's okay. Okay. You know, I'm fine. Personally, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> okay, great. I'm glad to hear it. How are you, Ava? What are you distracted by? You look like you're on a screen looking at something. I'm I'm pulling together my resources for this episode of the podcast that we're about to record because I was late getting to the recording. Okay, well, why were you late? Why well, just was distracted by being lazy and eating pizza and taking the dog out, just like normal life stuff. So I take it you're doing well then? I mean, I'm doing fine. I mean, I have pizza, so that's a big plus in my life. You know, I'm like haunted by the war. I was just telling friend of the show, Binya, my co-host Shashiva the other day that this is like 
the first time in my life I've genuinely felt like uh, ashamed of the Jewish people, uh, ashamed to like be a Jew, which is a bummer for us to be acting in a way that incites that feeling right now. But well, you know, your feelings are valid or whatever. But like, <laughs> you know, you know, that's an illogical. Uh, um, no, never mind. Never mind. I mean, I don't think feeling feelings and logic are like they're. Two separate dimensions. I know, I know. I'm trying like, to make no. you feel better with man facts here, okay? It's, <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, it's not hitting. I mean, it's on the micro, I'm having a nice day. I have a slice of pizza. I took the dog out. I played some video games. It's a, it's a lovely day. On the macro, it's just like existential horror, as I think we all know. You know, I don't think it's necessarily that my shame is like, Whatever. It doesn't have to be legitimate or illegitimate. It's just like a, a high watermark in terms of like how much the direction of Judaism writ large has like gone awry, in my opinion. R.E. Zionism. That's just my own experience. But yeah, it's a lovely gray fall day. I have my seltzer. What more could a gal ask for? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's lots that a girl could ask for. It's true. What more will a gal ask for? Nothing. Okay, let's talk about some Talmud. Michael. Yes, let's do it. Okay. Tell me what you know about women. <laughs> oh, uh, wow. In Judaism. In Judaism? Yeah. You know, they're important. <laughs> Great. Specifically, what I want to start with talking about today, and we'll see how many different sources this leads us into, is the idea that women are exempt from some mitzvahs. Have you heard about this? Do you know about this? Well, I mean, that makes sense. Men are probably exempt from some mitzvahs, too, and so are, you know, other folks. True. Non-kohanim or whatever, you know, like that. Women are exempt from mitzvahs, I feel like, in a different, in a way that has nothing to do with their capabilities, but specifically with their being women. What I want to know before I read this source is like, what is your perception of the issue before we go into the sources is like, do you know about women being exempt from some mitzvahs? What do you think about it? What do you know about it? Well, I don't have an encyclopedic knowledge of the hundreds of mitzvahs and what they uh -huh. are, but I imagine that there's a mitzvah out there that's like... So straight to hell for you, then. I, <laughs> right, right. But I imagine there's like a mitzvah out there that's like a father needs to tell his children, blah, 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 blah. So I can imagine that there's just boots on the ground kind of logistical reasons why a mitzvah can't be done by a woman in the same same way mm -hmm. that there's boots on the ground logistical reasons why we can't do a lot of the mitzvahs that are associated with like the first temple and stuff like mm -hmm. that sure. it's not possible but i assume you're going to talk about something different yes i am going to talk about something different let's just start with the inception of this whole thing which begins in mishnah kedushin chapter one mishnah seven where we read all the mitzvahs of the son towards his father men are obligated but women are exempt but all the mitzvahs of the father towards his son, both men and women are obligated. All of the positive time-bound commandments, men are obligated, but women are exempt. All of the positive non-time-bound commandments, both men and women are obligated. All negative commandments, whether time-bound or not time-bound, both men and women are obligated, except for the prohibition against cutting the corners of your hair, the prohibition against cutting the corners of your beard, and the prohibition for priests against becoming impure through contact with the dead. So that was a bunch of lists of mishnas. Yes. Of mitzvahs. Mitzvahs, yeah, yeah, Mitzvah yeah. categories. The one I want to most focus in on, because this is sort of the most famous 
mitzvah divide, I would say, the center of the uh, gender mitzvah wage gap, the tefillin ceiling, <laughs> is all the positive time-bound commandments. Men are obligated and women are exempt. Positive non-time-bound, men and women are both obligated. Negative, doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, you're both obligated. Before we go into that, there was the first set that was a little confusing to me. Could you just repeat that again? Yes, the mitzvahs of the son towards the father and the mitzvahs of the father towards the son. Oh, okay. So that's like the category that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. That you were very prescient in your guess. But I want to focus in most on the positive time-bound, positive non-time-bound, and negative. Well, I mean, this seems like women just, you know not good at the whole time thing right this is classic right, yeah bitches just can't tell time they can't tell that you know we're running late you know just be late it'll be i'll be five more minutes this is just classic ladies are late okay but for real for real actually for true what do you think about this okay well i have to go put some chicken and some soup that's what i think I'll be <laughs> speaking right of back. positive time-bound mitzvahs yes there you go i gotta go do my mitzvah no it's fine it's okay, it's it's fine. okay. i'll see you in just a second all right be back in a second Okay. It's in the fridge in like a, a wrapping. It's the Oh, hello. Oh, hi. How's it going? It's fine. We should just record our own episode secretly without Michael. Hello. How's it going? <laughs> With Grunge Girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that true? No. <laughs> Okay, I didn't think so, but I was ready to believe. I went to the grocery store. It was absolutely, like, packed and overwhelming, and I came back and then realized I didn't have olive oil, and so then I threw a fit, and then Michael's like, I'll go get all the oil, and then um, came back with flowers and olive oil. The soup's got to be made. That's just all there is to it. Well, good luck. Um, Thank Michael, you very much. Michael, for some reason, wants to come back to his own podcast. Uh, so rude. So annoying. So I guess I'll hand the microphone back, but I hope okay. you have a good rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Enjoy your soup. Thanks. Welcome back. There's a whole segment in there. <laughs> All right. Okay. So now your time-bound mitzvah is done. What were we talking about? We were talking about how women are exempt from positive time-bound mitzvahs. And I was like, but really, what do you think about that? Well, my guess is the rabbis are concerned with, well, I guess the opposite of not doing a mitzvah isn't necessarily a transgression. But I'm wondering if the rabbis are concerned with transgressions and they're trying to minimize the amount of transgressions that could possibly happen. They've done this before with other things. It's like, oh, we want to minimize like the Amha Aretz. You know, we don't want them. They don't know anything like so they're like Mm -hmm. they have different standards than we have. And it's demeaning of the group that they're talking about. But it's always on the surface and maybe not on the surface, a concern with putting bad karma into the world because you don't know any better. So I kind of think that's what's going on. Got it. I guess this idea has always haunted me a little bit. It's always been kind of like um, 
I don't know. I guess just as a trans person, right, you're forced to think a lot about what is a man and what is a woman. It's like something I'm sure many people other than myself spend, especially the early years of your transition, agonizing over because a bunch of people confront you and they're like, what even is a woman? Why do you need to transition to be one? Questions no one ever has to answer. (laughs) But you are forced to answer as a trans person because you have to prove that transitioning is a legitimate activity. And so thinking about what is the difference between a man and a woman, I don't, it just all feels very connected to this and basically like trying to figure out, am I okay with differences in obligation for different genders within Judaism? And if so, like what is the, what differentiates the obligations that I'm cool with being different from the obligations I'm not cool with being different? Hmm. Well, what, what comes to mind is that a lot of mitzvahs or things you're supposed to do is based on how other people perceive you in the situation. Say more about that. I feel like we've had things in the pod come up where it's like, well, the reason the rabbis rule this way is because someone might get the wrong idea if the person did this. And we don't want people to get the wrong idea about stuff. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if one way, right? so doing mitzvahs and doing the Jewish thing, there's a pedagogical aspect to it. You're always transferring that, that ritual that to other people who are younger than you. Mm-hmm. And so you want to give them the right message. So one mm. way to go with that is you could say, well, like if I'm perceived as this gender, I want to do these mitzvahs because that's like the pedagogical perhaps approach but that's so then you have this weird dividing line where it's just like well when am i perceived as one gender versus another you know Mm -hmm. that's one way you could play with that you know yeah i mean i think this is like something that comes up a lot for trans people especially trans people who grew up jewish in jewish spaces is like certain mitzvahs become so gendered that they become dysphoric in their genderedness like i know plenty of trans women who don't want to rap to fill in for instance because that is so gendered for them that it would be so negatively gendered for them yeah yeah and yet there's a million other trans women who are like no like i want all the mitzvahs Give me all the mitzvahs. I don't care. And yeah, just perception and gender feel feel like they play a huge role in how effective a mitzvah can be in bringing someone closer to God. The rabbis are all over the board on this. First of all, I just want to name the main mitzvahs that stand out as women getting exempted from. And the list is pretty short for biggies out of the 613. It's saying the Shema, wearing seat seat, laying tefillin, hearing the shofar, waving the lulav, living in the sukkah, and counting the omer. So those are the things that men can do, women shouldn't do, or they don't need to do. Well, we haven't even talked about the question of whether you're exempt means you shouldn't do it. It just means you're not obligated to do that. That's a... Interesting, interesting. It's either the second half of this episode or a whole other episode. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. Shaking the lulav for sure. I agree with that. That's the one... (laughs) Yeah, women shouldn't be out there shaking the lulav. I'm a hardline anti-women shaking lulav. <laughs> oh, yeah? Person. Why? It's just going to rile everyone up. It's just not a good <laughs> it's idea. It's just too erotic. <laughs> I do think it's too erotic. Do oh, erotic. my gosh. I think men waving the lulav is too erotic. So, checkmate, atheists. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So something that has always stood out to me about this list is that all of these, except for maybe reciting Shema, which is sort of just like a general prayer thing, all of these mitzvahs feel so particularly Jewish. Like we have plenty of mitzvahs that are like, don't kill your neighbor, yada, yada, yada. We have plenty of mitzvahs that are like, you know, don't charge interest where it's like, okay, this is specifically Jewish, but it's not like an outward sign of Judaism. It's just like a right. an in-group behavior. But Tzitzi, Tefillin, Lulav, Sukkah, like so many of these are like visual prominent expressions of Judaism. Right. There's not like a humanistic, secular, moral theory that they can be easily linked to. Yeah. I don't know exactly what to make of why those are the mitzvahs that ended up on this list, whether it's by coincidence or whether the rabbis just have a trend with positive time-bound mitzvahs that they're very visible by nature. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there just like aren't a lot of positive time-bound practices in, in the secular world. I don't know. Showing up on time, giving people gifts on their birthday. I don't know. Yeah. It's just a very weird category of requests made by the divine that I can't think of like a society. I can't think of good social showing up to jury duty on time, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess so. Okay, so here are, let's just get into a, a selection of reasons. So here's a, a great, a banger, said as sarcastically as possible, from Rabbi Yehoshua Ibn Shuaiv, who was this uh, prominent halachist hanging out in Spain from 1280 to 1340. And he said, Therefore, men bless every day that he has not made me a non-Jew, comma, that he has not made me a slave, and that he has not made me a woman, because the souls of Israel are holier than that of other nations, and from Canaanite slaves, and even from women. And even though women are relevant with regard to mitzvot, and they are from Israelite seed, their souls are not like the souls of men. Ooh. Yeah, um, just jumping right to the worst possible option. Just thought I'd uh, go ahead and cover, you know, there were plenty of dudes out there who just thought it's because women were a lesser category of being. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I wonder if he means like at, a, at the deepest possible level, their souls are different. Because, you know, if you're all part of, you know, the divine blast, you know what I mean? If we're uh -huh. all part of the divine blast, the Kabbalistic initiating blast of divinity. Uh-huh. I don't know. Kabbalistic splooge. Yeah, yeah. Then shouldn't we all ultimately be the same? And is he talking... Not according to Rabbi Hoshua. Okay, well, that's an idea, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the least interesting one to talk about. It's a pretty obvious, just like, yeah, this sucks. It's not really a, a metaphysics that I'm interested in living inside. Not that much interesting comes out of it for me doesn't do much yeah he just thinks the souls of men are holier so bummer for him also that should create a lot of contradictions for him because there's all kinds of shenanigans in the torah and the talmud with souls of various genders ending up in bodies of other genders so i don't know how he deals with that he says the souls are different not well he starts out by saying the souls of israel are holier than that of other nations 
and then he goes down the list. So I'm assuming the same paradigm of holier than is applying to each item of the list. All right, interesting. I don't know. Can the holiness of a soul increase or decrease at various moments in time? Can you transmute souls into other types of souls with different amounts of holiness? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Okay, so here's something uh, a little different vibe from Ralph Sampson Raphael Hirsch, who was hanging out in 19th century Germany. This is from his commentary on the Torah, where he says, Clearly, women's exemption from positive time-bound mitzvot is not a consequence of their diminished worth. So take that, Rabbi Yehoshua. Nor is it because the Torah found them unfit, as it were, to fulfill these mitzvahs. Rather, it seems to me, the Torah did not impose these mitzvahs on these women because it did not consider them necessary to be demanded from women, i.e. women are not in need of them. All time-bound mitzvahs are meant by symbolic procedures to bring certain facts, principles, ideas, and resolutions afresh to our minds, from time to time to fortify us to realize them and to keep them. The Torah affirms that our women are imbued with a great love and a holy enthusiasm for their role in divine worship exceeding that of man. The trials men undergo in their professional activities jeopardize their fidelity to Torah, and therefore they require, from time to time, reminders and warnings in the form of time-related precepts. Women whose lifestyle does not subject them to comparable trials and hazards have no need for such periodic reminders to remain true to their calling. This guy's whipped. That's all I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> he is simping for Jewish women as a whole. Yes, he uh, is. As are we all. Oh, totally. Um, <laughs> totally. Very relatable. Is this, a, is this guy like a proto-reformed Jew? Uh, I'm not sure. Actually, mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't look into that. Yeah, there's a couple couple interesting pieces here. It, it kind of starts out with me feeling like he's saying women are sort of like naturally more spiritual, basically, which mm. is an explanation I've heard before. But then he kind of caps it off by saying like it's basically because women aren't working for their livelihood; they're in the home, so they're just sort of like chilling, being holy all the time. They're not uh you know, undergoing the trials of their professional activity, which jeopardize their fidelity to Torah. That is kind of interesting. Like for cultural reasons, women are at that time period, I guess, mostly in the home, men mostly working. I feel like there's like a Marxist kind of take on that too, where it's like the workplace like is this evil thing that's like autocratic and you have a boss and then the home ideally you know assuming you have a nice egalitarian relationship but you still have the division of genders then the woman is serving the family as opposed to serving the blood-sucking capitalists right right right. i mean i feel like there's a world in which i could get down with this kind of explanation like if i could bring raf samson to the present and say hey raf samson everyone's in the workplace now does this mean we're all obligated in time-bound mitzvahs? If he said yes, then I, I would be inclined to go along. I would be like, okay, like this is not how I have been thinking of mitzvahs. But if you're going to make the argument that like wrapping to fill in is sort of like a therapy you need to do because of capitalism, as long as you're willing to like stick with that logic, like I'm willing to go along on that journey. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, what would what would the rabbi say nowadays that women are in the workplace? Right. If he's willing to not just use it as a rationalization for what the old rabbis thought, but like apply it in an innovative way, that's what would sort of give me respect for this argument. Well, I wonder what he would say about women from Jewish families who do have to work, you know, in his time period. Right. As surely there must have been plenty of them. I think that would be a very interesting paradigm to live in. If you're part of the brotherhood of 
pipe fitters union, whether or not you're male or female. <laughs> right. You're obligated to lay to fill in as yeah. a pipe fitter. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, mm-hmm. I get that. I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah. It's not repulsive in the way that the previous reasoning is. I guess for me, it's more like, is this coming from a genuinely cool and interesting place? Or is this just like, I just want to sort of make this, I just want to smooth this over, you know, and give a good excuse. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think it's possible for us to know. I guess we can we can use it in whatever way we want. That's the beauty of Judaism. But is he talking about doing the mitzvah now in his present time, or is he giving like a historical explanation? I don't know what his intention is in that regard. Yeah. It's not clear from this little paragraph. All right, what was his name? Uh, Rav Samson Raphael Hirsch. Rav Samson Raphael Hirsch, you are a curious little guy. You're a curious little guy. You're a curious man. My favorite kind. So now I wanted to, this feels like uh, so fun and silly to do. I wanted to bring in Chabad's explanation. Oh, great. (laughs) Always reliable. Always, always easy to get. Yeah, always right at your fingertips. You know that like Aziz Ansari bit where he's like, what does Ja Rule think about this? This feels like the Jewish equivalent of being like, what does Ja Rule think about women being exempt from time-bound mitzvahs? Like Chabad is the Ja Rule of my Judaism. Yes, yes. They they do make a good arbitrary um, jumping off point, I feel like. Just by yeah. their sheer availability. So here's what Chabad has to say about all this. And it's a it's a little bit of a mouthful. A deeper look at the relationship of man and woman can enlighten us in this regard. When discussing the creation of man and woman, the Torah does not describe them as two distinct entities, but as a single whole. And God created Adam in his image, male and female, he created them. Thus, the Zohar explains that the divine image is neither male nor female, but a synthesis of both. It is only later that God separates Adam into two distinct entities, and even then, man and woman are each considered half a person, not just in soul, but in body as well. Classic gay Torah stuff. Rabbi Yitzchak Luria, a.k.a. the Arizal, explains that man and woman are two dimensions of a single soul. Each individual soul is charged with the implementation of the entire Torah. Its masculine element acting through a male body is enjoined to carry out the Torah's masculine commandments. Its feminine element vested in a female body to realize the Torah's feminine goals. Thus, the Arzal explains, when the male performs a mitzvah commanded specifically to men, there is no need for the woman to do it on her own since she is included in his performance of the mitzvah. That's part one. Let's just keep going because it's a, it's okay. a seamless right. hole, even though we could stop there to talk. When God gave the Torah to Moses, he instructed him, so you shall relate to the house of Jacob and pronounce to the sons of Israel. Expounding on this verse, the Midrash explains that the house of Jacob refers to the women and the sons of Israel to the men. The verse is saying, relate the general principles of Torah to the women and pronounce its exacting particulars to the men. In other words, the female soul is more aligned with the general, essential, and timeless principles of awe and faith, as exemplified by many biblical women. Whereas men relate more to the detail, the specific law, and the particular application within time and space. The distinction between women and men is also reflected in the role parents have in determining the identity of their child. The essence of Jewishness is determined by the mother, whereas the particular 
features of Jewishness, such as tribal identity, are determined by the father. This, the Lubavitcher Rebbe explains, is the deeper explanation to why women are generally exempt from time-bound mitzvahs. Women are more connected to the general aspect of the mitzvahs, that essential primordial aspect that is not constrained or bound by the limitations of time. Therefore, they are generally only obligated to keep the negative commandments as well as non-time-bound positive commandments. So, Mm. that's the Chabad encyclopedia entry. Uh, Magic is the explanation. Uh, Yeah, magic. Okay, okay, so everyone's really half a soul. I mean, you have a soul, but like a capital, capital S soul is like a lady soul and a man soul. Right. So they get charged with different mitzvahs. Fine. And the way we go about doing it is basically, well, all male souls and therefore all men are kind of on the autism spectrum, basically. <laughs> That's basically That's what, basically what saying. they're saying, yeah. right? Right. I mean, I interpret it as them saying, it seems kind of nice the way they say it, but what I hear them really saying in my heart is like, women have their sweet, simple, beautiful, simple, simple, stupid little faith. And men do all the important, particular, measurable deliverables. You know, this is funny because I remember getting into arguments with feminists in Mm -hmm. high school. It went similar to this. They would perceive that generalization about women as so negative, and I wouldn't. Mm Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, well, I want to do all the technical stuff. And it's like, well, whatever. It's arbitrary. Fine. You want to do technical stuff? Do the technical stuff. Like, it's not any better or worse than this, you know, soft touch woman associated stuff. And it was basically all because my mom is uh, you All know, right. Because your mom is a, a power bitch. Yeah. She's a power bitch. So I had a different perspective. So yeah. I naturally would have a different perspective hearing this. And I'm just like, it's like saying, yeah, men are kind of like men. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? <laughs> so we're just got to leave them to do you know it's it's not a you're probably right maybe you're i don't know i don't know who's like i don't know if there's a judgment call about women or men here but i like to think of it as like a judgment call more on the men it's like you know they're gonna get up to bad shit so you know they're gonna get caught up in the details so you better like get men really into the details of like give them more mitzvahs that'll fix it yeah give them like mitzvahs where they can like bro out together on the mitzvahs that'll like reduce the war I mean, the thing that's interesting about this Chabad explanation is there's an essence of it that I'm actually into because I'm pro the idea of collective fulfillment of the mitzvahs that like. Totally, totally. It's not we're all going to fulfill the whole Torah individually, but like collectively, we will all fulfill the mitzvahs together as a team. And we've talked about that before. People have written in and said like, oh, do I have to do this mitzvah? And you've said things like you can hold down the mitzvahs that you feel responsible to hold down. Yeah, exactly. So I'm on board. It's only when it becomes essentialist that I have to leap off the train as quickly as I can. It's only when it's like, well, women are like naturally, you know, in touch with the void, which is true. Um, <laughs> Which is true. <laughs> I just hate the fact. <laughs> JK, JK. But yeah, I think I would like to live in a world where we can sort of like communally negotiate who's taking care of which mitzvahs, not based on gender. And that's where this Chabad system breaks down for me. And at the end of the day, it's really just like, the same system that Rebbe Yehoshua is giving us, 
with his women are have less holy souls, but just with like a fresh coat of paint that made it seem cuter. But it's basically just like women are just like built differently and they just have to do woman stuff. And I think that's the crux of the matter for me is not that I object fundamentally to the idea of some mitzvahs being for particular genders, but the essential qualities being assigned to those genders are, are part of the problem here. Yeah, I mean, you're going to run into issues with that, but it is funny. <laughs> but it is hilarious and makes for a great podcast episode. Yeah, it's good uh, in that way. And it's curious. It's curious. Yeah. So, there, you know, there's other directions we could go in, but this feels like a complete topic to me. It's really interesting, like covering this, having just written a paper on Nita for trans women that it really hinges on the idea that Nita is described in the Torah as being a mitzvah for women and, and connecting that to trans women being women. So we have to deal with it. Um, really like talking out of both sides of my mouth a little bit maybe i'm misremembering but i thought your paper was it's actually not just for women well my paper was i would say the official position of my paper was it's definitely for women that doesn't mean it's not for anyone else right so that's a way of hijacking the question yeah and i guess it's just a different way of treating obligation because the way that these things get treated in reality is that when the Torah, when when the rabbis say you're exempt from it, your community interprets that as you should never do it. And if you do it, you're bad and wrong and weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's a, a sort of unacceptable. So, you know, it just is, I think there's a world where gender and mitzvahs can play happily together, but it, it's going to take some fundamental reconfiguration of both our, our brains and our texts. Text changes, if you will. Yeah, It's going to yeah. take a text change operation. I can see that. You could say that these rabbis are they're making these generalizations about the mitzvahs that women should do and the mitzvahs that men should do, and you could say... Well, they're ascribing the labels of men and women to just the categories of people that do the mitzvahs. And so what you can then do is say, well, I'm a woman when I'm doing this mitzvah, and I'm a man when I'm doing this mitzvah. And I mean, if that's what floats your boat, that you could do it that go way. for I it. Don't know. I don't know. I think there are a lot of a lot of fun ways to work with this, but I just wanted to get into the, some of the fundamentals on the issue. Anyway, so that's what I that's what I brought for us today, Michael. It's great. It's really interesting. It's great. I feel like it's a great follow up to my last episode. I know. I mean, it's the age old thing, you know women and men yeah that is age old you know it's a big deal it's a big deal it's a big deal gender have you heard about it i don't know it's a thing whatever yeah people take it seriously some people don't take it seriously yeah i don't know maybe i'll pick some more texts at some point in the future to dig into other aspects of this but i thought it was fun to touch the fundamentals of the issue so um that's all we have for y'all today i hope our Goofiness, goof, well, goofiness has uh, brought you a little bit of joy in this ominous time. And we will wish you a Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov. Bye. Bye.